People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. And welcome to Kidney Talk. We have today a really fascinating story and one that's really close to my heart. Uh, we have Don Duggan. Is Don that Duggan. Dungan. Dungan. D-U-N-G-A-N. Right. And she's from Montana, big sky country. And it's so funny. She, it's not funny, actually. She was diagnosed with kidney disease and decided, I don't want to live with kidney disease. Right. Well, she had seen her brother live with it. She's had family members. She teaches a class now. But it is. I mean, she's had there a total is, reversal. She's the most positive person you would ever meet today. But you but would I never think, know that back then when she was first diagnosed. And I think that a lot of people who are positive, including myself, when I was on dialysis, when I was on peritoneal dialysis for nine years, I was told I need to go back on hemodialysis. The last time I was on hemodialysis, I was 14 years old, and I frequently had grand mal seizures. So once I'd become accustomed to PD, I frequently said, you know, I'd rather die than ever go back. Back on hemodialysis. Now, why because, did you have to stop peritoneal and well, go back my on hemo? Well, I actually had to take out my catheter, and uh-huh. I had to go back on hemo because my peritoneal catheter had been left in too long. So I needed oh, it to can, go it on... It has a, a definitive yeah, life? Yeah, well, and you... Your, my peritoneum need to heal so they could add another catheter. But I had to go in back on hemodialysis for a while. And the last time I was on hemo, it was absolutely horrendous. And I just remember what it was like. And I often said to people, oh, if I ever have to go back on hemodialysis, I'll just die. I don't want to do it. But the will to live is so strong. I mean, I agreed to go back on hemodialysis and... Uh, luckily, a little less than a year later, I got a transplant, this Fantastic. transplant. But um, I did much better on peritoneal dialysis than I did on hemodialysis. And I think the more frequency of dialysis helped me do better. Well, that's why I like doing the home hemo because I do it instead of three times a week, I do it six times a week. Right. So it is more frequent. But when we talk to Dawn, it's so interesting because she, like you said, she took care of her brother who had kidney disease also. Yes, and she decided, I don't want to do this. So when we come back, we're going to hear the remarkable story of Don Duggan, and uh, she's going to teach us a lot about how she changed her um, whole perception about what life is about. As long as she doesn't make me sit in the corner if I misbehave. Postman, here you go. Hmm, I won the million-dollar giveaway sweepstakes. Oh, I finally got my tax refund check. Oh, my God, I I can't believe this. I got my order of Dairy Delicious! Oh boy! Milkshakes, creamy soup, cereal with milk, and pudding! (laughs) Why is Mr. Smith so excited about his Dairy Delicious? I have a hint. You see, Mr. Smith is on dialysis, and Dairy Delicious is real milk especially created for kidney patients. It has half the potassium and half the phosphorus of regular 2% milk, but it has 100% of the flavor. Perfect for people who love dairy products and need to keep their lab values normal and dietitians happy. And most of all, it's delicious. Thousands who have tried Dairy Delicious sing its praises. See what I mean? 
To order your own Dairy Delicious and possibly get as excited as Mr. Smith here, call one 877 4 7 That's one 432 4797 Or visit DairyDelicious.com. Dairy healthy, dairy good, dairy delicious. <laughs> the milk that's made for you. Well, welcome, Don Dugan. Don Duncan. Ha- Duncan. D-D-O-N-D-N, something like that. Have you, you thought about it, changing Steven? your name? I have. You have to but what? But first was taken. First oh, was taken. Do you know my real sweet? name is not first either? Is it second? I changed my name. <laughs> She's going to be interviewing it was you. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. So tell us your history, how you had kidney disease and why you got it and where'd you get it and all that kind Can of stuff. Can you give it back? I picked it up at the 7-Eleven. It was on sale. Absolutely. Next to the big gulps. I originally started with in the kidney field in 1985 when my brother was diagnosed with kidney disease. He's your type brother one. was diagnosed with kidney disease? He was. He's type 1 diabetic, just as I am. And he went in for a surgery and... And in the labs, kidney disease was discovered. And so he picked peritoneal dialysis. And back then, you had to have a partner to train with you to help you do your treatments. And so I trained and helped him when he was too sick to do his treatments. I did them for him. And from that training, I went into a dialysis unit and became an employee for a number of years. What did you do at the dialysis unit? Well, it's one of those little private-owned things in the South. And I did everything except needle sticking. Oh, wow. So she became wow. really acquainted with the whole dialysis is, process. Right, and this is all before you got kidney disease. All before. And, and my plan was if I worked there and I was the caretaker, then when my turn came, I wouldn't have to have it because I had done my time. See? But did you know eventually you were going to become a kidney patient or that just didn't no. enter your mind? Well, there was always the risk because of the type 1 diabetes, but I was too afraid of it to look at it. And your brother had type 1 diabetes, too? He did. He was 9 when he was diagnosed, and I was 10. Now, you say did. Is your brother still alive? No, he's not. He passed away when he was 36. Oh, my gosh. From what? Not kidney disease. From complications of diabetes. He had a heart attack. Wow, that's that's amazing. And you were his caretaker. I was. We were very, very close. And you did his peritoneal, he was on peritoneal dialysis, is that correct? He was, although he had had a kidney and a pancreas transplant. The kidney had lasted, the pancreas did not, but when he passed away, the kidney was nine years old, so he was doing very well on that aspect. When you got kidney disease, obviously, did that adversely affect your personality and everything? Well, when I got kidney disease, disease, because I had worked in the unit and been his caretaker, I had a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. In fact, too much. Sometimes knowledge is not a good thing. You can know the risk and the complications and what's coming. And because I did, I had a lot of fear. So I chose no treatment option. I did not choose to go on dialysis. And why did you do that? I'm just curious about that. I was more afraid of dialysis and kidney disease than I was of dying. Even though you worked in the dialysis unit and you saw that it kept people alive and that some of the people who it kept alive were happy and living full lives. I didn't see that many that were living 
what I thought was a quality of life that they wanted to live. I think a lot of the patients were non-compliant with their treatment and they were sick and I did not want to live that way for my family. I was worried about being a burden. And what about your family saying, you know, my gosh, Dawn, what are you thinking? This is ridiculous. You're being selfish. We need you. Well, my mother and my father would call and, and they would cry and say, we've lost a son. We're not ready to lose a daughter. And my girls were 15 at the time, and they were just quiet, which we know 15-year-old girls are never quiet. But they didn't have anything to say. And um, my husband... So you had two daughters? I did. Are they twins? No. But they're both 15? His and mine, and we raised them together. Oh, my goodness. Same age. Wow. And then my husband, of course, how do you support a spouse who wants to die and you're not ready? But he tried as best he could. He supported your decision to not choose any treatment he did support that decision so you basically you were told you need to go on dialysis and you say nope not for me I'm just going to live the rest of my life that's right and, and how we, long did they give you to live well at that point we you know a few months maybe three six months and that's about how long it took um, did you have any idea how painful or uncomfortable it was going to be to die from that kind of uh, disorder I had a nephrologist at the time who was very clear about the complications and what was going to happen in the in right. the death process. So I was very well informed. You were going to eventually suffocate. Exactly. And, I knew and what I to can't look imagine, for. I'm, I mean, I'm not I you, know, but I just can't I imagine choosing that. Now, I have an interesting situation where I have a sister who did the exact same thing you wanted to do, and she did do that. So, uh, But I can't imagine, because I know even though I wasn't around her, I was 3,000 miles away, that it was an extremely uncomfortable situation for her, I believe. Well, the hard part for me, I had made that decision many years ago when I worked in the unit, and so I knew if that ever came, I wouldn't change my mind. But the hard part was living in the guilt of looking at my family and knowing the pain I was causing them. But I have to tell you, a tremendous amount of fear will make you choose things. Um, over guilt. And when we come back, we're going to see what changed you around and what turned you around to deciding to live instead of die. Oh, I just love pretzels. Let's, let me see here. One serving is six pretzels? What, are they kidding me? Who only ate six pretzels? I have to stay on my renal diet. I know. I can bite part of one pretzel, then bite the side of another pretzel, and then I hook them together, and I can count that as one pretzel. Mm. Boy, that was good. You know what I love now? A big gulp. Now if I fill it up halfway, and then drink it, and refill it to the top, now that won't count towards my daily fluid intake. Or will it? Make the connection. Eating high-sodium foods makes you thirsty, which will make you retain more fluids. Do you want to share a tip on how to stay within your fluid limit? Email us at kidneytalk at rsnhope.org, and we'll let our listeners in on your different tips. to 
choose no treatment, what was the turning point that said, wait, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to take charge of my life, and I'm going to, I'm going to continue to live? My mom and dad had flown in. I, I live in Montana and originally from North Carolina, and they had flown in to spend what we all talked about would be our last Christmas together, and, and we all knew that. And the very night they came in, it was just a few days before Christmas, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I knew based on what I'd been told. I had about three to five days left. I was very, very sick, and I knew I'd reached the turning point. And in the middle of trying to be my do-good or responsible self and not wake my family up while being sick, my brother came to mind. And every time he had a hard decision to face or a crisis, we would have this very same conversation through the years, and it went like this. He would be in a hospital bed, and he would say, you know why I'm doing this, don't you? And I would say, because you want to. And he'd say, no, I'm doing it for you. And I'd say, why are you doing it for me? And he'd say, because you're coming up behind me, and I want you to know your choices. And someday, people are going to be coming up behind you, and you need to turn around and help them so they'll know their choices. Wow. And I felt the responsibility of that and knew that he had had some hard things that he had had to face in life, but he'd always done it for me. And I knew he'd be there for me to make this decision, and I would turn around and help the people coming up behind me. So you just made a decision that I will go on dialysis and I will live. So what, what was your response from your family? What did they, how did you, did tell, you tell them, them what did you say? that Christmas day or? Well, it was a Friday morning when I woke up and was very sick. And so when they, when they all woke up, I told them that I had made a decision. A few months earlier, I had gotten an access in my arm just to buy some time because they were, they were really on me a lot. Now I didn't plan to use it, but, um, it came in handy. So that morning I called my nephrologist and told her that um, I was ready. Uh, I was at the point. And you weren't too far gone. And I wasn't too far gone. It did take me a little while to to get back up to speed, you know, a couple of Because you were so sick. If you would have went on dialysis earlier, you probably would have, it wouldn't have been so difficult. Absolutely. I should have done it several months ahead of time. So this is a lesson that you can tell other patients, uh, right? Turn Don't wait. Tell all of them. So how long were you supposed to be on dialysis that you weren't on dialysis? How many months was that? I probably should have been on there probably four to five months before right. I did. And when you started to start feeling bad and, and, and you, you, you noticed it, right? As, as time went on, you noticed, wow, boy, I'm starting to feel bad. This must be the kidney disease. Yes, I knew. I knew what I was in. I knew what I was feeling, and I knew what I was facing. Did you ever come across a situation where you're saying, this is too long and drawn out, I think I'll end it faster? No. Never did that? No, natural process is what I was going to go through. But, you know, the first six months on dialysis, I'll be honest, I, I turned the corner, but I didn't take a step forward. I was the nice, polite, southern girl that was very polite to you in the unit. But on the inside, my heart was broken and I was crying and I wanted to get off. But I had to realize that if I was going to do this, I needed an attitude change. Now, did you seek help from the social worker or for any other kind of a mental health uh, person? No, the social worker came and I told her politely but pointedly that if I needed you anything, alone. I would call her and otherwise I didn't need her. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've got to say, you know, it depends. I've been in two, actually three different units 
Uh, actually, no, a little bit more because well, I didn't. When I'm travel, I don't really have contact with a social worker. But uh, I've been to two units where I've I've talked to the social worker, and um, they are vastly different at each unit. And mm-hmm. one person, the unit I'm in now, very helpful, very nice, very understanding. The lady before in my older unit basically was there just for travel purposes. You know, you only had to you go to her if you wanted to travel somewhere and she'd give you a number or make an arrangement. But I never really sat down and talked to her. I just didn't identify with her. Well, and that's the way it was for me. And then we had a change in the social worker. And I told her the same thing, but she kept coming back. She kept pushing you, huh? She did. And she involved me in my own life. And, and to this day, we're great friends. So she basically showed you that you were valuable, that you were needed. And that's taken interest. Did she really push that upon you? She did. She involved me in my own care. And I tell her all the time, you helped me help myself. Now, how old are your girls now? They're both 25. And they must be so happy that 25? My God, you look like you're 25. <laughs> it's L'Oreal WB number 10. Ah, do you have a website for that? Now, yes, I mean, they must be ecstatic that you made this reversal of change. They are very happy. In fact, both are married. I have some wonderfully tall, very nice sons-in-laws now, and they both, one daughter has a 16-month-old son, and the other one's pregnant, so I'm a grandma. You're a grandma, and I'm going to be a granddad in about four or five months. Congratulations. <laughs> I hear it's exciting? a good thing. It is wonderful. It's kind of like having a puppy. You can play with the puppy, but you can give it back afterwards. Yeah, that's <laughs> the best part. Yeah. So yeah. how long were you on dialysis? Because I know you have a transplant now. And tell us a little bit about what your life is like now after you know going through yeah. all of this. The dialysis and then getting on a transplant list? Or did somebody donate the kidney? From death to kidney talk. It's been a journey. <laughs> I was on dialysis for a little over four years. I was on the waiting list for a kidney when a nurse in one of my doctor's offices stepped forward and said, I believe I need to donate to you. Would you consider it? You're kidding. How an amazing... Where are these people that I need? (laughs) I'll give you her number. She has one left. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, that is absolutely me. Did you at first say, no, 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 I'll wait. Don't worry about it. I absolutely did. I I couldn't be responsible for somebody else's health. And, um, And then I did see a counselor about that. How do you take something from somebody who who's offering something such as this, and they're not this deep, close, personal friend. Um, but, but, you know, I read, you know, Don, I read an article, I think it was maybe in the Los Angeles Times recently, about these people who volunteer to give up their organs, right? And one of the things is, you know, I, I always worry, and one of these people had the case, is they, they, after they give you the organ, they want to become a part of your life. And they call you and they want to socialize with you. And maybe that's something you didn't want, didn't bargain for. You just wanted a kidney and get on with your life. Well, that's the way this situation actually worked out. <clears throat> we are friends, but we're not close, intimate friends where we talk every day. In fact, we probably only see each other a couple of times a year. And she wanted to donate and continue with her life, and that's so the like way when it you go out, out to a restaurant and everything, you gotta feel obligated to pick up the check. I mean, she gave you a kidney. No, mm-hmm. no, we did not have. You that. go Dutch. We do go Dutch, <laughs> but I send her a card every year. 
a, a birthday card from the day she donated yeah. your kidney. Yeah, Fantastic. I do. Oh, I wow. Well, that's really special. I cannot imagine not having gone through what I've gone through because I am all about patients and their own choices. I, mm-hmm. I respect whether you want to do dialysis or you don't. But I do there. have a few things that if you will turn the fear around, it'll make a difference. You know, I know when my sister called me and said that she was going to do that, I actually supported her. She was leading such a miserable life. And she I don't think, I don't think she could have recovered uh, like you did. She had so many other things wrong. Her quality of life was just uh, horrendously horrible. And when she said, I'm just not going to do this anymore, I, I just don't want to do this anymore, I said, you're a brave person and I, I wholeheartedly support you. So for people out there who think, well, why would somebody, why would your parents support you? Or why would your husband support you in this decision that you had made? Uh, it's it's hard for these people to understand unless they're in that situation. I agree with that, Stephen. You know, it's all about our own choices and we have to support each other, especially those we love in making the decisions that they think are best for them, especially when it's not based out of fear, but it is a decision that's well thought out and they know what they're doing and what they want for a quality of life. Well, thank you for coming in and and sharing your story. I know sometimes it may be hard for you to talk about, but I'm so glad you did. Hi, my name is Jenny Huey. There is a critical shortage of organs. 91,000 people are waiting for a transplant. I am one of those people waiting for a kidney like many of you listening. I wait for my transplant coordinator to call me with the good news, that they have a kidney for me. Other young women my age are waiting for that special someone who they met online at that dating website, Match.com, to call. And I'm waiting for the right cross match. It is important that we all inform our friends, family, and coworkers about the importance of becoming a donor and to make sure they sign a donor card. Also, they need to discuss this very important decision with their family. We all need to bring awareness to the public about the importance of giving the gift of life so I can continue on with my life, dialysis-free, and have guys waiting patiently by the phone for me. Wow, what a fascinating story, and I, I totally identified with her so much because, uh, you know, having my sister who did the same thing, and but my sister didn't change her mind. Oh, I, you know, it is. I think it comes across to everybody's mind who has an illness. Do I want to do this? And then you got to find the determination and the skill to really understand what you got to do, and then you got to find the will to do it. Right. You know, when you walk into the dialysis unit, if you've never seen one, for the very first time... It's it's really hard to have that will to live because you're saying this is what's in store for me for the right. rest of my life. But it really isn't the rest of your life. There's always transplants, you know, and there's always home hemo. And you can you make dialysis like anything else, right. what you make out of it. Well, and I know so many people now that, you know, go to dialysis, they work. And you find the group of people who are living their life because, unfortunately, some of the people who are on dialysis are on the end of their life. Exactly. And when I first went to the PEP program, 
program a year ago and I saw 30 or so people who had these active, wonderful lives, it totally turned me around. Because when I went to the first PET program, I hadn't started dialysis yet. I hadn't even seen a dialysis unit. I just knew I was getting sicker and I was told I eventually was going to have to go on it. And about three weeks after that PET program, I had to start dialysis. But the people in the dialysis unit were so different than the PEP people that I saw, and that what that's what gave me hope. Oh, it it does. I mean, it's uh, they give me hope. I mean, interacting with patients every day and learning how they live with their life helped me to learn ways to live my life. Because, you know, people think you have a transplant and everything is hunky dory. It's not. You still have an illness. You still have to take care of yourself. You still have to take meds. You still have to see the doctor. You still have little things that creep up that, um, you know, make you realize you still have an illness. And so um, I prefer to have a transplant over ha- having to go on dialysis again. But, you know, you're not cured. I know. I'm always amazed at the people who choose to stay on dialysis and not get a transplant. But, I mean, that's their choice. It's whatever yes. works best for them. But I taken like a survey, Mr. Survey here. And I always ask, you know, the doctors, he says, your quality of life is so much better with a transplant than it is on dialysis. It is. Um, but again, I had a transplant that didn't work twice. So I can see the other side of the story. Right. But I'm so glad Dawn changed her mind because she is now so active in the Great speaker community. throughout the country. Oh, oh my she's goodness. She's a wonderful speaker. Wonderful speaker. Actually. And she can whip up a good, uh, you know, Montana pie. We can control control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.